For those of us in this class, let's turn to Luke chapter 24. It's the account of Jesus talking to the two men on the road to Emmaus. So Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Now the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at the Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. On the last Sunday of each month, which today is the last Sunday of, uh, of February, we review the assigned reading for that month. Our book groups are working through uh, the book, What is the Mission of the Church? Making Sense of Social Justice, Shalom, and the Great Commission by Kevin D. Young and Greg Gilbert. Today we'll be reviewing chapter 3, which is titled, Seeing the Biblical Narrative from the Top of Golgotha. I really, really want to encourage you to join one of the book groups. It's, it's important for life of your church. It's going to be good for you. But if you just can't, and I already shared everything else that's superfluous in your life, and you just can't commit to a group, then I encourage you to at least read the book so that you know what is going on there. Now, let's start by looking at what we learned so far. So don't worry. The chapter itself, uh, I'm going to cover very quickly. So uh, don't, oh man, he spent a lot of time in the introduction. Well, the introduction is going to be the bulk of our lesson, and then we're going to talk about the chapter, and that's going to be uh, rather quickly that we do that. So what have we learned so far? Well, what led the authors to write this book was the confusion that they saw in the church regarding what the church should be doing. A lot of things going on. People saying that the church should do this, the church should do that. Confusion. People not certain about what is it that the church should be doing on this world. And that led them to write this book. In the first 10 years of this century, a great concern for social 
justice gripped the American, American evangelicalism. Uh, concerns with sex trafficking, income inequality, and more recently, concerns with rash, uh, racial reconciliation have come to the forefront of the thinking of many evangelicals in the United States. And many embrace these issues as the mission of the church. The church should be here to solve these social issues. They said that's the reason the church exists. In the Reformed world, which is a subsection of evangelicalism, there was a great revival of, of Kuyperianism. Now, Abraham Kuyper was a Dutch theologian in the turning of the, uh, 18th to the, no, the 19th to the 20th century. So he was a pastor in Holland who also became, founded a university who also became the prime minister of the Netherlands. And he taught that Christians should be excellent in everything they do, which is a good thing. But then his followers kind of turned that into a bit of a reformed social gospel where the mission of the church was to do art well or to do theater well or to do writing well, to redeem the culture that we live in. And ends up, the focus then ends up being on changing the culture instead of proclaiming the gospel. And in the last 20 years, we see that also coming into the American church. Um, there was a big emphasis with Mars Hill up in Seattle. Tim Keller emphasized that, emphasized that quite a bit in his ministry and others. So that came into the Reformed world in, in the United States. So lots of confusion. And though the book, uh, the, though the book was written, published uh, 10 years ago, the events of the summer of 2020, with all the BLM stuff, and the love affair that many in the church now have with critical race theory, show that there's still a lot of confusion in the church in figuring out what is it that the church is here for? What is the mission of the church? So that's what they're addressing in this book, trying to eliminate, help the church eliminate this confusion so that she can focus on what Christ founded her or sent her to do in this world. Are we, are we okay so far? Any questions about the things I've said? All right. Now, one thing that can generate confusion is the, word, the use of the word mission in the phrase, the mission of the church. Because we hear the word mission and we automatically think of missions, like sending missionaries out. And that's not what the book is about. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the mission, singular, of the church. Uh, the, the word mission comes from a Latin word that means sent, or send, but in the past tense, sent. So when we're trying to figure out what the mission of the church is, we're trying to figure out why God sent the church to this world. That's the, what we're trying to figure out. We're really asking the question, why is the church here? The primary reason that should be reflected in the way the church uses its, its, its resources. What is it? What should the church use its resources for? So, in a very practical level, when we, we ask, what is the mission of the church? We're asking, in practice... What should be the things that consumes the budget and the, and the calendar of the church? 
How the, what is it that the church uses its resources for? What is it that the church trains it, her people for? That's what we're trying to, to figure out. That's what the book is trying to figure out. And they rightly, and the good thing about this book is that they tell you what the conclusion is in the beginning, and then they, try, they, they defend their position. So right off the bat, they tell you what the mission of the church is, and they rightly concluded that the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ by being a witness to all that he taught in the Bible. That's why the, mission, that's why the church exists as an institution, to, be a, to make disciples of Jesus Christ by being a witness to all that, the, that it, he taught in the Bible. That's why we're here. That's a primary reason that the church exists. So, the church is not here primarily to feed the poor, the church is not here primarily to provide clean water. The church is not here primarily to provide adoption services to solve social inequality, to bring racial reconciliation. That's not the primary mission of the church. The interesting thing is that when the church focuses on its primary mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ by being a witness to everything he says in the Bible, all these things start happening. It is when the church forgets its primary mission and starts focusing on these things, that's not why it's here, that things don't get done. Everywhere, if you look in history, everywhere the gospel has gone, social structures have changed. And social issues have been taken care of as a natural result of the spread of the gospel. Any questions so far? Now, this view, this conclusion of what the church is here for, tends to rub people wrong because they think it, either that it is limiting, you know, it limits what you can do, or not consistent with all that the Bible teaches. As I see it, this reaction often arises from not being able to differentiate between the church and the Christian. There are things that the church should be doing that not every Christian necessarily has to be doing. And there are things that Christians should be doing that's not necessarily the mission of the church. And we, sometimes we have a hard time differentiating between those two things, that what the Christian should be doing is what the church should be doing, and what the church should be doing is exactly what the Christian should be doing. And that's not necessarily true. Now, the church as an institution was put on earth to make disciples of Christ. And as she makes disciples of Christ, she equips those disciples to live in the world in a Christian way, which includes the practice of justice, compassion for the poor, and so on. We as believers should be interested in these things. But that's not the mission of the church as an institution. The mission of the church is to make disciples by being witnesses to Jesus Christ and all that he said in, in his word. We are commanded to love one another, and we do that as Christians. The church is commanded to make disciples, and we do that collectively as a body. Any questions or comments before I continue? I see some furrowed brows and so on, but uh, so an opportunity for you to voice whatever concern you may have or questions. This, this reaction often, too, to, to this definition of what the mission of the church is, 
often also arises from equating what Christ was sent to do with what the church was sent to do. And people say, well, if Christ did this, then the church should also do this. And one of the main examples that people use is that Christ fed, fed the poor, therefore the church should feed the poor. Sounds good till you actually look at the Bible and see what was going on there. Was Christ feeding the crowd because they were poor? This way or this way? No. He was feeding the crowd because they were there. They were there. Yeah, who said that? That's yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. And and even more importantly, all the miracles that Christ did were there to verify his word. Verify means to prove to show that what he was saying was true. Not to make it true. When you come across you, you travel internationally, you come across the border, you show your passport. And that verifies that you are who you say you are. It doesn't make you who you are. You're that even without a passport, but that verifies. The, Jesus' miracles verified that he was whom he said he was. And that he word, his words were true. Well, the church doesn't have to verify Christ's word anymore. It's been done. We have it completely now. So we don't need to be doing the same things that Christ did in order to verify that, that word anymore. And another thing that I think we get confused is that, as I mentioned earlier, is that the, the, the mission of the church is the mission of all Christians. But it's not the mission of every Christian. Does that statement make sense to you? The mission of the church is the mission of all Christians, but it's not the mission of every Christian. Are you? No. Don't get it? Okay. Heather, would that use, work for you if I would use a sports illustration? But <laughs> <laughs> you can try. <laughs> okay. Um, I won't. I will just, uh, I'll, I'll explain just by explaining it. Every Christian has a function in making disciples. Every Christian has a function in making disciples. But not every Christian has to do everything in disciple making. Is the, is the collection of Christians, a church, that does everything concerning disciple-making. Every Christian has a function in it. Paul says that he planted a seed, Apollos came and watered the seed, it is the Lord, and others will come and harvest the fruit, it is the Lord that gives the increase there. And we see that also in the way that God in Christ has gifted the church. The, the, the God has given different gifts to different people in the church. Not one person has all the gifts that God has given to his church. But the church as a, collection, as a collective has all the gifts that Christ has given to his church. So every person, according to the gift that God has given him or her, has a part in making disciples. But no one single person can fulfill the mission of the church in making disciples because it takes the entirety of the gifts that God has given to do that. We see that also in the illustration of the church as, as the body. Not everybody is eyes, not everybody are ears, not everybody are toes. Everyone of that, of the part has a specific function, but it takes a whole body to do what? To function as a body. It takes a whole body to function in the way that God instituted the church in making 
disciples. Does it make sense now, Heather, a little better? Yes. Okay. So that's why when we talk about missions, the sending of missionaries, we must, we must be talking about church planting, not just simple conversions. You go, you hear, you read reports of thousands coming to Christ in Africa. As a matter of fact, if you start adding some of the reports I just saw this week, start adding some of these reports, there's some countries that have been saved three times uh, because the number of people that uh, the reports say they've been saved uh, under, no, they'll go and show a, a Jesus film and then they ask who wants to be saved. People raise their hands, then they are saved, then they, move, they leave those behind and go to another place. And that's not really what God calls salvation. It, well, the church is about disciple-making. So when you think about missions, we need to be thinking about church planting. That's one of the reasons why Tina is coming back and her, end in Lebanon is ending, her, her time in Lebanon is ending soon because there's no longer a local church she can work with. And it, she, she can't do her ministry apart from a local, local church because it is a church that disciples, the collective gathering of believers that disciple um, those for Christ. Any questions before we continue? All right. And as we've seen, the mission of the church is well summarized in the Great Commission. And I'll read again. I'll be hearing this a lot, but it's good to hear it again. I'm going to read the one out of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, because it's the fullest expression of the Great Commission. And it says this, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you can see that even this, this instruction, this command is given in the context of the church. Uh, we saw last week the baptizing means introducing someone to Christ. Is it the use of the, the word for the sacrament to mean what the sacrament means there. But the very use of the word baptizing shows that this disciple-making is happening in the context of, a, of the church, of, of the body of Christ, not as lone rangers, not necessarily as parachurch organizations, but as the church um, going, uh, going together and doing that and discipling uh, people in that way. Questions? I still keep on seeing a lot of these, but nobody you know, being able to say anything. Adam. Supporting Tini is precisely what our body should be doing. What, what, so it's no longer something that she should be doing. Yes. Right? So um, that's why she's coming back. Yes. Right? Before uh, but before that, yes, because she was helping the church with her gifts in discipling uh, people for Jesus Christ, to introduce them to Jesus Christ and discipling them in the context of a local church. That context is no longer there. Therefore, as great as the things she's doing are, we need to realign that with, with a place where there might be a local church for her to work with. Anything else? 
All right, so the, the authors summarize what they are teaching concerning the mission of the church with seven questions. Who, why, what, where, how, when, to whom. Those are the seven questions that they ask in trying to explain, summarize what the mission of the church is. They say who. Well, Jesus gave this mission verbally to the first disciples, but it did not end with their deaths. As Lord of the church, he expects his followers to carry out this mission to the end of the age. Their mission is our mission. There's a lot of people, a lot of theologians that think that this mission has been completed that was only given to the apostles, that we're not supposed to do them anymore. And uh, just a brief refutation of that is, why then would Jesus say that I'll be with you to the end in the context of, of accomplishing this mission, if that mission was done already, then they would answer that the, the end came at the end of the apostolic age, that we are in the eternal state now, the eternal age, and so on. But that, it's a continuing thing. We are to make disciples of all nations. The Lord Jesus Christ actually um, puts his return in Matthew 24 in terms of the discipling of the nations. When the gospel has reached all people's groups, people groups, he will return, Matthew 24, I think is verse 31. So why, the authors ask, they say the authority of our mission comes from Christ. It is rooted in the word of God and based on the Father sending the Son. We are sent because Christ was sent, and we go in his name under his authority. Why do we make disciples? Why, what's the most basic reason why we make disciples? Because God told us to. That's the why. That's, you know, we try to find all kinds of different reasons, but that should be sufficient if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Right? God, says some, God says jump. What do we do? How high on the way up? Right? That's, uh, that's how uh, uh, we should be uh, operating there. They ask what? Well, the mission consists of preaching and teaching, announcing and testifying, making disciples and bearing witness. The mission focuses on the initial and continuing verbal declaration of the gospel, the announcement of Christ's death and resurrection, and the life found in him when we repent and believe. So the mission of the church is, cannot be separated from the proclamation of the gospel. A church where that's not proclaiming the gospel is not fulfilling the reason why God put her on earth. Where, they ask, we are sent into the world. Our strategy is no longer come and see, but go and tell. The message of salvation is for every people group, near, far, and everywhere in between. So um, the mission of a church causes her to look outwardly, not inwardly. How, they ask. We go out in the power of the Holy Spirit and in submission to the Son, just as He was obedient to and dependent on the Father. Then they ask, when? The mission began at Pentecost, when the disciples were clothed with power from on high with the presence of the Holy Spirit. The mission will last as long as the promise of Christ's presence lasts, that is, to the end of the age. And there's a, a beautiful thing about this, that we don't have to be figuring out all the time what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to make disciples. 
What does Jesus want me to do today? What does Jesus, what's the vision for our church? Well, make disciples. Whatever else, make disciples. To whom, they ask, the church should make disciples of the nations. The church must go to every people group proclaiming the good news to the ends of the earth. That's, that's, that's our basic mission. And that's it. No more, no less than taking the gospel everywhere and to make disciples everywhere. Any questions? So this is the review part. Yes, Andrew. Uh, if we were like a church in Romania and there were a bunch of uh, Ukrainian refugees heading our direction, uh, do you think it would be wrong for the church as a body to organize to help with uh, relief because that's extending too far beyond our missions? Or would, is that something okay to do as long as we're not mistaking that as being our primary calling? It, yes, it's okay to do. And, and, no, there are doesn't mean that that church is renouncing its primary calling. There is a need at the moment right there that needs to be done. And there is an organization in place that can facilitate that. Then you just do it. But then you start looking at your church life and it goes from that to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. Then that becomes not just, oh, there's a need here. We're in a position to help. We did it. It just becomes that's what we do. Remember that the proof is in the doing. The proof is where, where do you spend your money, where do you use your resources, what occupies your church calendar, and so on. Anything else? So it's not wrong for a church to have a food bank if they choose to do so. It's not wrong for a church to help in other areas. But when that becomes the primary reason why it exists, it's lost its calling before God. All right, so now we're ready to review chapter 3, and it's going to be super quick there. Uh, And the point of chapter 3 is to show that the mission of the church is demonstrated beyond the Great Commission. Uh, So far, the authors in chapters 1 and 2 have focused on the Great Commission passages in Matthew, Luke, and Acts to explain the mission of the church. In chapter 3, they show that the entire history of redemption points to the fact that the church was sent to this world to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, they also demonstrate a very important hermeneutic principle. Hermeneutic is the art and science of biblical interpretation. So in chapter 3, they, they um, help us understand something that's important as, uh, in our biblical interpretation. We must interpret the whole Bible through the lens of the cross and resurrection. Everything we read has to be through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. So you read a prophet in the Old Testament, you read uh, uh, Exodus or Deuteronomy, and you want to understand what the people then understood. You want to understand the intent of the human author. But at the end, your conclusions must be arrived through the fact that Christ has come, he died and rose again. Because ultimately, that's where all the Scripture is pointing to. And if we ignore that fact, if we live as if we were on the other side of the cross, we will miss the point of the passage. Are you with me? So everything we do, must be, everything we read in the Bible must be read through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. And that's why they title the chapter, Seeing the Biblical Narrative from the Top of Golgotha. 
you know, what, was the, what was on the top of Golgotha, also, also known as Calvary, was a cross. So that's what they're saying, that that's the lens through, lens through which we look at the scriptures. And they divide all history into four acts. And this is not particularly to them. It, you see that in a lot of places. They explain all of history in terms of the creation, the fall, redemption, and consummation. And you can see that there are not four equal parts, right? It's, as far as time goes, history goes, because you have the fall, or you have the creation part and to, to the fall where Adam and Eve lived in perfection with God, and then the fall that happens the moment, and then redemption, which is from the fall all the way to the coming of Jesus Christ, and then consummation is the coming of Jesus Christ when he makes all things new. And when he, they look at all this, they see, that, they see that each one of these acts is a development of the redemption of God's people. Everything pointed to Christ, and when he came, everything flowed from Christ. And the Old Testament scriptures are pointing to Christ forward. The New Testament scriptures are pointing backwards to Christ, but that's what they're doing pointing to Christ, bringing people to Christ, making disciples of Christ, of the Messiah. And in that, we see that that's the mission of the church, to point to Christ, to make disciples of Christ. The Abrahamic covenant and the Old Testament prophecies pointed to the day when the nations were going to see the light of God's Messiah and come to Him. We as, a, as the church are fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant and the Old Testament prophecies concerning the nations, and we are doing that by discipling the nations. The, the, the way that those prophecies of the nations coming to know Christ will happen is through the church discipling those nations, as Jesus says in Matthew 28. So not only these three great passages in Matthew, Luke, and Acts, called the Great Commission passages, teach that the mission of the church is to, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, by being witnesses of everything he says in his word, but the entirety of scriptures is pointing to the fact that we are here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So, the mission of the church is not only seen in the direct references about it in the New Testament, but also in the entire history of redemption from creation to consummation, point to the fact that we are here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Any questions? Andrew. So is the mission of the church the same on... Sorry, are you saying the mission of the church was the same? I the old covenant for national Israel. The mission of the church has always been the, ch- the church. National Israel and the church are not identical. No, there are members of national Israel that are not members of the church, and there are members of the church that are not members of national Israel. Um, so they're not a one-to-one relationship there. But the mission is the same, disciples of Yahweh, uh, the approach is a little different, that, as I said earlier, that in the Old Testament it was, come to us, come experience God with us, come and see. The, the emphasis in the New Testament is now go and tell. We're not going to wait till you come, we're going to go to you and make disciples of all nations. But the mission is essentially the same, to be a testimony to Yahweh and all that he says in his word. Anything else? All right. So remember, we have 10 minutes in the bank. I'm just saying that to be collected at some point in, in the future. So let us pray and it will be dismissed. Father in heaven, thank you for, for 
given us a mission as a church. We pray that we'll be faithful in making disciples as we, in future Sundays, we study the subject of discipleship in practice. Help us to be faithful to you in doing that. Guide us, give us strength to be willing to invest in one another so that we might become more like Jesus Christ. Even as we prepare to worship you, we pray to mold and shape our hearts so that we might see your glory as we gather together to worship you. For asking in Jesus' name, amen.